everybody, Chris Harry with you on a new episode of Chargers Weekly. Later on, I'll be joined by the founder of the NFL Draft Bible, Rick Saratella. Rick shares several pre-draft insights and reveals five possibilities for the Chargers at number 28 overall. But first, we recap the NFL owners' meetings in Arizona with NFL Media's Dan Hansis. All right, my first guest is the host of the wildly popular Around the NFL podcast, along with Greg Rosenthal, Chris Wessling, Mark Sessler, all friends of the podcast. Dan Hansis, NFL Media, joins me on Chargers Weekly. Dan, how are you, my friend? Chris, I, I thank you for having me off, first of all. But second of all, for uh, listening to my contract parameters that you put wildly successful in front of our podcast. <laughs> it, was, it was wildly popular. Wildly popular. Uh, wildly popular. Excuse me. Thank you for correcting me on that. But you're right. Dan, I saw a lot of fancy parties. I know it's the NFL 100. It's a big year for the NFL. Uh, give me the lay of the land in Arizona. What were the highlights for you? You know, it is, uh, it's always interesting to me because what we do at the podcast is, yes, we work for, for the NFL and at NFL, but we kind of keep ourselves um, a little bit isolated and kind of have our own little bubble, uh, which I think helps us talk about the teams in a frank and honest way. And then we come to these events and, you know, you sit down for dinner and there's Jerry Jones and, and Jason yeah. Garrett next to each other. Uh, there, there's, uh, you know, some you know, owner going uh, with his golf club heading out to the, the links. Uh, you just have this like collection of Freddie Kitchens, belly up at the bar. You just have this like weird experience where all of a sudden you're at the like the coolest football summer camp in town. Uh, so it was it's a really interesting experience every year and the news is flying fast because literally everyone's there. I mean, everyone was talking about obviously the, the past interference um, rule change. And I think the general reaction um, that everyone had was surprised because this did not, you knew this was going to be a topic. Uh, yeah. The second the play happened in the Superdome, you knew that Sean Payton would probably spearhead it. And maybe he'd get some support, but the idea that it would actually come to fruition surprised a lot of people, including myself. Uh, and I know they say it's 2019, it's a trial balloon, uh, but barring uh, it being a total disaster, which I don't think it will be, um, I think this is a permanent change and it's, gonna, it's going to, I think, make the game better. And I think that um, not everyone is on, on the same page that, as that, like Chris Wessling, my colleague, uh, on uh, around the NFL, the wildly popular around the NFL podcast <laughs> said that he hates it and he thinks it should be taken out of the coaches' uh, hands and it should be uh, done if it's done at all by an NFL official that's kind of up in the booth making the decision on his own. That to me, maybe that maybe you have room to tweak it if this doesn't work exactly. But I like it. I like that the, there's still the same amount of challenges. I like that inside two minutes of each half. Uh, it, it is not. It is out of the coach's hands, and I think it's well worth the uh, investigation to see if this is something. Because what happened in an NFC title game simply can't ever happen again. Well, a couple things for me. I, I was surprised it had passed thirty-one to one. Right. I, I thought that that was right. pretty astonishing to me. And now, it, what it does, Dan, is it, it kind of changes the strategy for coaches too, because they're going to have the ability to to use this even on, on non-calls and you still only have the two challenges. So you can't waste it. Uh, another thing that I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by is like, does this place more of a value on like, 
burner wide receivers or guys who are really good route runners because just just an example Keenan Allen tweeted that the DBs are going to hate him this year because he's been held <laughs> at an all-time the last two years so like I'm serious it's like is this going to increase scoring are wide receivers going to be more at a premium I just think there's a lot that we don't know yet that will kind of unfold here in 2019 yeah and it'll be interesting to see how how closely they um, legislate it in terms of ticky-tack pass interference, which, exactly. you know, pass interference is pass interference, so maybe ticky-tack's not the word, but will they only call things that are reverse calls that are blatant, or um, will it be a situation where they, it's much harder to win these challenges, and coaches learn that over time and adapt and, and do it only when it's obvious, which is kind of how I think it should be used, only to overturn things that are really wrong. Truly wrong. And one other interesting thing, um, Troy Vincent uh, from the league office was on the network uh, on Wednesday, and uh, Andrew Siciliano brought up the point. Well, what if? What about defensive holding? You know, so uh, and Keenan Allen made a reference. He gets held a lot. You know, there's obviously a difference between defensive holding and pass interference, but they're in the same world. But if it if they challenge a play that the quarterback still has the ball and it's just a matter of the receivers being held, then you lose your challenge. So it's, it's interesting how that will be played out and how the people that work for the teams that are responsible for letting the head coach know to throw the flags, hey, make sure this is PI because if it's defensive holding, that doesn't help us at all. So it's, it's, there's a lot of wrinkles to it, and it's going to be a real interesting process to watch it unfold. And I'm just thinking about like broadcasters too. They're going to have to educate fans in real time that if there's like an egregious defensive holding to your point and they can't challenge it, you know, people are going to be up in arms, but hey, that was, that was blatant, but it's not the rule that was implemented. So I think there's just on a lot of different levels, fans are going to have to be educated uh, by, by broadcasters and, and folks like yourself on the around the NFL podcast. Yeah, I think it's um, that's a part of the reason, again, why I was, and so many people were surprised. It is a really big move that they made. It was a, and like you said, the 31 to 1 vote and the fact it was so important to get it done that the meetings were supposed to go through Wednesday morning, but instead they they were making progress. So they essentially locked the doors. They brought in box uh, dinners, which is always fun to think about, like these owners and these uh, millionaires and billionaires, you know, here's your, uh, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, <laughs> yeah. and a bag of Lay's chips. <laughs> Let's figure this out. Here's a juice box. Let's get this done. And uh, however, the, whoever was involved with pushing over the finish line, and I think Roger Goodell definitely played a role. And apparently there were impassioned speeches made by people like Sean Payton. Um, it's go, it, it will make a, a big change in the game. And I'm looking forward to it because I think, the things that drive me crazy when I watch the game are when the officials miss things. The game's so fast that it's easy to see it. I, I even think something like, you know, um, unnecessary roughness uh, hits on the quarterback. I think that's something that maybe even you want to think about whether you can go and take another look at yeah. that. But, of course, the other side of this is people do not want the games to get longer. They've been getting longer uh, decade by decade by decade. But – it's like, do you want the game to be seven minutes longer, but it, uh, better legislated in terms of the rules? I mean, it's, it's a conversation that I think a lot of people have different opinions on. 
Yeah, this rule is going to set the table for for future discussions at at owners meetings in 2020. Uh, let's get to the good stuff though, because you know these meetings they come at a perfect time because it's it's shortly after that first wave of free agency, and we saw so much player movement. Dan, uh, what was the buzz coming from right. Arizona? There are no shortage of storylines, right? From AB to Odell to to no. Le'Veon going to your Jets. No, it is. It's it's a great great little time pocket for it to happen. You're right. After free agency, you know, we're now in what the th- third week of the league year, fourth week, and you still got a few weeks ahead of the draft. And I think there were so many things. The the coaches' breakfast is another fun event um, connected to the owners' meetings, and it occurs on um, Tuesday morning. And I think one big takeaway um, as we look ahead to the draft is that number one overall pick and Cliff Kingsbury is not going to come out to, and say it because he, he won't and he can't. And he still has the first round pick uh, on his roster and Josh Rosen, but everything points to Kyler Murray being an Arizona Cardinal. And if you kind of read between the lines of what he, what he was saying when he's speaking to reporters, I mean, he, he speaks to him like he's almost like a, uh, a Madden NFL, quarterback on 99 that he has the running ability of Michael Vick one of you know one of the great dual threat players ever is how he describes uh, Kyler Murray and you can only imagine how Josh Rosen must feel with all these news nuggets rolling out so it just it, in terms of what's happening next that sets the tone for the entire draft um you know uh your man uh, uh Joey Bosa, his brother, where does he go? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, how does it play out? Um, do, do the Giants, for instance, are they going to go after Josh Rosen? Will they try to move up the draft board to get a quarterback they want, or they will not take a quarterback at all because another subplot is Dave Gettleman, who I, I kind of enjoy at this point where he's coming from, where he's like, I like Eli Manning. I know you guys all think he stinks, but I'm going to double down just to get you mad at some of the comments he makes. Now he's saying that Eli had a great year last year, which is interesting. And, uh, and it makes you wonder if he's playing a little cat and mouse game or really the Giants might shockingly again skip the quarterback in the first round. Um, so that's another kind of fun subplot uh, that I took out of the event. You know, from a Chargers perspective with free agency, they didn't do much, and a lot of it was taking care of their own. Guys like uh, Denzel Perryman and Brandon Meebain and Adrian Phillips. Um, Thomas Davis comes into the fold. I had an opportunity to speak with him a couple of weeks ago when he came in. He's a great guy going into year 15, Walter Payton Man of the Year. And, you know, over the last four years, Dan, three Pro Bowl appearances, an all-pro appearance in 2015 – you know he's on the back nine, but he he still showed that that he has some juice. And when you look at this this linebacker core for the Chargers, they were decimated by injuries last year. Uh, I think you bring in a leader, a guy who's been there and done that, and he made no bones about it. He wants to come to LA to get a ring. Yeah, and I think it was a great signing. I think it's the, the Chargers are close. You know they they are a team that like the Rams last year when they're when they're big. It seemed like their angle was let, we want to sign guys to get over the hump because we know right there. I think the Chargers, that's what that Thomas Davis signing was. And, yeah, he's turning 36, um, 14 years in Carolina. Um, but you know what? Last year he played, I, I believe, almost 650 snaps. And he's still an effective guy, a vocal leader type guy, a guy that any team that has championship aspirations 
would want. And I think you could read into that on the other side of the ball with the Chargers with, you know, another thing that came out of the coach's breakfast, Anthony Lynn um, certainly kept the door open about Antonio Gates, uh, who is, you know, been in the league forever, 16 years now. Um, he, he defined it as wait and see mode uh, for Gates. But for the same reason, if you want, you know, if you're a team that thinks you're right there, why not have Antonio Gates in there? A guy that, yes, he doesn't move like he used to, but he has that connection with Phil Rivers. He has that um, respect in the locker room. You want those type of guys, uh, and you need those type of guys in a championship locker room. So I wouldn't be stunned if Gates ends up back in the building, and I think Thomas Davis will fill a similar role, similar role on the defensive side of the ball. You know, a low-key signing that I really, really liked for the Chargers was bringing in Tyrod Taylor because you just look at the last four years, right? It's very rare to sign a backup quarterback who has 46 starts the last four years, who actually went to a Pro Bowl, um, has had some experience at different stops. Uh, but I look at the weapons here, and God forbid he'd have to go in. You know, Phillip hasn't missed a game since 2006. But I think you need security at the most important position on the football field, especially when you have a team that is in that win-now mode, like you said. You know, you have you have all these weapons. You have everything kind of set up for you on both sides of the football. you got to have security, and I think they found it in Tyrod. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice pickup. I think it's an upgrade over Geno Smith. And um, I think – He's had an interesting career, Tyrod, that he he kind of was lost in the shuffle down in Baltimore. He, he found a place in Buffalo where he never could get anybody to buy into him up there, quite buy in, but he showed when he was given the opportunity to play that he could be a guy that could take a team to the playoffs. Uh, last year in Cleveland was a little weird. He did not play well last year uh, in the three or so games uh, before Baker Mayfield took over. Uh, but, you know, that Browns team was just, finding its footing. It was still, you know, knee deep in the Baker and the Hugh Jackson era slash mm-hmm. error. Um, so I don't, I don't really take too much out of that. Uh, so I think, yeah, put him in a spot where I think he's one of the top, top two, top three backups in the league right now. I think uh, him and Tannehill probably, if I had to rank him, might be one, two in some order. And that's what you want. I mean, Rivers is an iron man, uh, but every team needs to be prepared uh, at the number two position, and the Chargers again have a quiet but a nice off season by filling an important need there and upgrading. Yeah, and he spent he spent two years with Anthony Lynn in Buffalo too, so I think that familiarity is important. Dan, we get you out of here on this. This AFC West man, it, it changes every year. It was it was Alex Smith to Washington last year. Patrick Mahomes comes in. MVP of the league. This year we got Joe Flacco in Denver. We got AB in Oakland. We got a bunch of defenders gone in Kansas City and, and Justin Houston, D. Ford, and the Honey Badger comes in. Eric Berry's gone. Uh, the landscape of the AFC as we enter the the NFL draft. Just give me your early thoughts on how you think this division looks. I think it's it's really interesting because yes, you have two 12 win teams a year ago, and I think both the Chargers and the Chiefs are going to be you know viewed as favorites again. Going, I think they're. Uh, teams that are locked and loaded again. And now if I'm a Chargers fan, I am worried about the Patrick Mahomes. Um, as you know, you had the dramatic win, of course, uh, last season. This team, the Chargers can beat the Chiefs, but is Patrick Mahomes going to take his game even up another notch? He might be that type of special player. Um, so if you're a Chiefs fan, you have a lot of excitement about that. Um, the Tyreek Hill situation bears watching, of course, in Kansas City, and that would be a big 
uh, a, a big setback for that offense if he wasn't around. We'll see what's going on with his legal situation. Uh, but uh, Denver is a, a team um, I, I can't make sense of right now. I, I don't know if they're a better team. I know Joe Flacco is there now, and I know John Elway still believes that the defense, if given a a um, solid offense or just a league average or a little bit better offense, could take them up a notch. Well, I'm not totally convinced about where Denver is. The Raiders are interesting. I don't. I wouldn't say I view the Raiders as a um, a team to watch at the top of the division, but I I could definitely see Gruden in year two with some of the additions he's made, including, of course, the Antonio Brown um, uh, trade. I could I could see them being out of the door doormat um, category and being a, a let's call them frisky. The Raiders could be a frisky team that could flirt with. 500. So I think it's not going to be an easy to d- division. It's not going to be a division that you walk, you, you go into it and say, oh, we're going to go, you know, six and two and, and then uh, in our division and take it from there. I think it's a wide open division. I like the Chargers' chances, uh, but I'm really interested to see if Mahomes takes his game up to another level because if that happens, the Chiefs to me have to be the favorite. Dan Hades is around the NFL. Dan, you guys do awesome work, and you guys are everywhere, man. It's not only the audio podcast. You got a Twitter show. You got video. Uh, you got producer Erica. Who, is she behaving herself over there? <laughs> Ricky Hollywood, you know. Ricky is always uh, somebody I got to keep an eye on and make sure she stays in line. But it's great to have her energy on the show. Uh, I just hope she doesn't get us arrested one day. That's always a possibility. <laughs> Pro- promote when the shows are and, and when people can check you out. <laughs> Yeah, it's three times a week uh, through the draft, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if you want to check out the Twitter show, uh, we do that every Wednesday at 1.30 Pacific, uh, 4.30 Eastern, and you can find that. Uh, just go to any of our Twitter handles, and we tweet it out every every show. Mine is at Dan Hansis. Great stuff, brother. Dan Hansis, appreciate the time, man. Thanks, Chris. All right, now joined on the line by Rick Saratella of NFLDraftScout.com. He's the founder of the NFL Draft Bible, and this thing is available now. It has 1,000 prospects ranked, over 400 scouting reports, exclusive interviews. I'm excited to dig into this, Rick, and excited to have you on as well. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Chris. I appreciate that, and uh, definitely uh, glad to be here. So, Rick, walk me through the process of putting something this robust together, because this is a lot of work. I'm going through it. I went through it last night. You guys have a ton of information in this thing. Yeah, so, I mean, we operate like a real NFL scouting department. So, I mean, we've already begun the process for 2020. So, around this time last year, we started the process for the Draft Bible, and you know, it, it begins reaching out to the pro liaisons at each school and, and finding out who the players are on the radar. And then, you know, we go to the media days and we interact with all the players and coaches at the, at the various media days. And we've got scouts littered across the country, uh, coast to coast. And then, you know, the season winds up and, and we wind up, you know, going to, to the games throughout the season. Then the all-star process with the you know, NFL PA and the East West Rhine, the senior bowl. And then of course the combine, now we're hitting the pro day circuit extremely hard. So throughout the course of the year, we interact with literally hundreds, if not thousands of players and coaches and, you know, people that know these players, we interact with the players. So I think in terms of, you know, assembling this thing, what's unique and different about it than compared to other draft guides is it, it kind of has a personal touch. We kind of get to know the players. We get, we get to, you know, peel back their personalities. And I think, you know, that's why the NFL teams appreciate that too, because 
you know, everybody's looking for an edge and the more information you can provide, obviously with the thing like the NFL draft, the more valuable something is going to be. So that's what we try to do there. Well, it's creeping up on the calendar. We're less than a month away. You just launched this thing on the 25th on Monday. What do you see being the two or three main themes to this draft now that you've had a chance to get this thing published and uh, really take it all in? Defensive line is outstanding. I mean, I think the the top players in this draft, all of them, you know, my big four, Bosa, Quinn and Williams, Ed Oliver, Brian Burns, I think these are all tremendously gifted, special, rare kind of uh, players along the defensive line. Now, we saw maybe a decade ago in the Domicong Sioux, Gerald McCoy. That was a heck of a class. I think this class is even more talented. Um, and then, you know, you talk about the tight end class, something the Chargers might be interested in because we haven't had a group of this talented crop of tight ends in a very long time. I mean, uh, you know, you got two guys on the same team from Iowa mm. with, with uh, you know, Noah Fant and Hawkinson. I think they're both first round bound and then you got you know tremendous depth throughout the the entire draft at the tight end position so i think you know tight end on the offensive side defensive line on the defensive side those are the two things that really stick out to me you have 20 players across the defensive line that the bible has a a first or a second round grade on and i know you launched this thing in in 2002 rick since you've been doing this have you ever seen a draft class with this much defensive line talent, it seems like that's really going to carry the day in the first round and will kind of dictate what other teams do based on all this talent and where it falls. Yeah, you know, I think the teams that have a quarterback intact are, are salivating because, you know, hey, uh, every, time a quarter, every time a team chooses a first-round pick on a quarterback, one of these talented defensive line players is sliding back to a team that already has a quarterback. Exactly and it's really right. hard to pass up, and that's why yeah, I think you know at least 10, maybe as many as 12 defensive linemen in the first round alone. That's kind of how I see it playing out, and uh, that's including the ends and the tackles. Now, I think what's interesting is you know, you've got this uh, invigorating presence now with the, the legal online gambling, or the legal gambling, I should say. Now there's all these prop bets, not just in Vegas. Here where I live in New Jersey, uh, they have the sports books, and they're setting now overs and unders where players will be drafted. It'll be interesting to see if they come out with a prop bet for defensive linemen because I, I do think between 10 and 12 are going to go in the first. So, you know, going into the 2018 season, Rick, all I heard about – was Ed Oliver, right? And he was going to be the number one overall pick or a top two, top three pick. He had that knee injury, and I know that there was that that dust-up with Major Applewhite that was on TV. But it seems to me draft analysts have seemed to cool on him a little bit for whatever reason. Uh, you guys haven't, though. He's number three in your top 100 players. If you could explain why you guys are still high on Ed Oliver, because I think he's a fantastic player. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear that the guy's an explosive athlete. He's a rare talent. And I think the problem why the the mainstream media has kind of soured on him is because there's no clear-cut position on a talent like that. And, you know, it's a big reason why Aaron Donald slid because of the size Mm -hmm. factor. And, you know, you talk about 287 pounds. Hey, uh, are we going to, you know, trim him down and and let him play on the edge? Are we going to bulk him up, let him play in the middle? Um, I tweeted out yesterday, it seems like a lot of people are getting a a kick out of the fact that Titans uh, interviewed him at the Combine and asked him, you know, would he play outside linebacker for them? 
So, you know, we've seen it before. We've seen Mario Williams line up in a, in, in a 34 outside backer at 275 pounds. And at 287, hey, Oliver could drop 10 pounds and play outside linebacker. Heck, we saw Hassan Reddick uh, move to, you know, play inside linebacker for the Cardinals That's right. a, a couple years ago. So I think that a good coach is going to find a way to utilize a special talent like this. And, you know, whether he plays tackle or end or backer, I think he's going to be a dominant factor. I think he's going to make an immediate impact. And I think, you know, just because he doesn't have a true deficient, you know, this ain't 15, 20 years ago. Tweener used to be viewed as a, a bad term. Uh, but you see the smart teams, the really smart teams, such as the New England Patriots, I hate to use them as an example, uh, they kind of find ways to incorporate uh, talented players in a, in a hybrid type type of scheme. And, you know, they're not just totally all in committed to the 34 or the 43. They find a guy like Ed Oliver to, to kind of use utilize his mismatch talents and find a way to succeed with guys like that. So I'm not going to sour. I mean, we're going to trust, you know, stick to the film and trust the tape. And, uh, you know, if, if you come away watching Night Oliver on film and tell me that he's not one of the top premier players in this year's draft class, then we have to question what we're watching. Well, Rick, I'll give you an example straight from here at the Chargers, and it's in the secondary. It's Deswin King, a fifth-round pick who a lot of people thought mm, yep. was going to be a safety or a corner. They didn't know, maybe a tweener. First team all pro in his second season. He's a magnet for the football. He makes plays on defense and special teams, and he's a football player, right? So mm-hmm. to, to evaluate those types of guys and, and fit them in your system, I think smart teams can find a way to mix in a tweener, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah, no doubt about it, and that's a great example. And, you know, it's funny because I think it was his 40 time, that was another guy where, you know, going into the season – uh, he was, you know, thought of as a first-round pick, and then by the time the draft process un- unfolds, and you know, doesn't run well at the combine, and you know, then you know, you get, oh, oh well, you know, maybe he's not a first-round guy. He slides all the way to fifth round, and hey, you can you can state a case. Maybe he's the steal of the entire draft. Absolutely, based on what he did last year, I tell you. He made plays in the fourth quarter of a Seattle Seahawks game where really they needed to seal the game. He, he picked off Russell Wilson, took it for six. He had a 73-yard punt return against the Steelers on Sunday Night Football. He made play after play after play when the team needed it most. So it's pretty interesting to listen to all the draft chatter, right? And we talk about these first-round picks and second-round picks. And we don't talk much about the the mid to late rounds and that's where teams make their money right it, it comes down to scouting and that's why I'm intrigued by this draft file because I, I I see things that are a little bit different from what we're seeing in, in the mainstream media and we'll move to quarterback here because you guys have four quarterbacks that you think could be first round picks and then you have one in the second that I, I think a lot of people think could potentially be a developmental quarterback is the kid from Buffalo Jackson uh, w- what is your take on this quarterback class in 2019 compared to what we saw last year well I think last year we saw more QB ready uh, signal callers and this year we have more of a developmental group and yeah you know there are four first round grades and I think that's because guys like Drew Locke and Daniel Jones they get pushed up the board due to the need necessity and, and the lack of you know quality signal callers to go around the league so I think if Drew Locke and Daniel Jones were in last year's draft class they probably have a round two grade but they're in this year's draft class so we know there's a lot of teams looking for a signal caller these guys are going to most likely go in the first round and you know to me Haskins is is, is 
you know, I don't want to say a surefire thing, but I want to say as good as I'm going to feel about any quarterback in this year's draft class. And, you know, the one-year wonder thing, it's it's interesting because we do a weekly podcast uh, with Russell Landy, and, you know, he made a good point that if you go back and look at the history of first-round picks over the last decade, two decades, uh, there's never really been a successful quarterback with just one year of starting experience. Um, you know, Mitchell Trubisky and Mark Sanchez are probably, you know, the two quarterbacks with the greatest success with just one year of college experience as a starter. So, you know, you are rolling the dice a little bit with Haskins, in my opinion. I think Kyle Murray is a is a rare talent that, you know, if you get him into the right scheme and you build an offense around him, uh, kind of like what the Titans did with Marcus Mariota, they kind of catered the whole moving pocket around Mariota's skill set. I think Kyler Murray could be successful in a similar scheme such as that. But again, I think he has to get with the right coach, right scheme. Drew Locke, the more he sits, the more comfortable I feel starting him down the road. I think Denver would be a great spot for him because he could mm. sit behind Joe Flacco until he's ready to start. And Daniel Jones, you know, to me, I'm concerned about the arm velocity on Daniel Jones. Um, I'm scared to use a first-round pick. Hey, if you if you ch- if you take Daniel Jones in the first round and you're a general manager in the NFL, there's a good chance you're unemployed two to three years from now. So that'll be interesting to see where he lands. Now, Tyree Jackson, who you mentioned, trying to get all the guys in, I think he has great, tremendous upside. I think he's the strongest arm in this draft. If you go back and watch the Temple game and the Rutgers game, this guy's flicking the wrist 70, 80 yards downfield on the run. Of course, we saw he's also an incredible athlete. Oh, by the way, he ran a four five nine at six foot seven and two hundred and fifty pounds. <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad. But again, yeah, again, I'm not letting him see the field for at least two years because he's just not ready. He's raw. You can't teach that kind of arm strength. But even we saw it at the Senior Bowl. He makes an outstanding throw, and then he follows it up with two throws that just have you shaking your head, like, "Hey, what's going on?" We saw it at the Combine. Steve Smith, the NFL Network analyst, the That's former right. receiver during the gauntlet drill, said, "Hey, what are you doing, man? People are trying to make some money. You know, he's got to understand. It's a five-yard spit in the bucket. You got to take some mustard off the hot dog." <laughs> and you know, there's a learning development there with Tyree Jackson, and you know, guys like Will Greer. Horrendous senior bowl, horrendous combine, but the film is outstanding. So where does he fall in the pecking order, you know? Yeah. And you know what? And he, apparently he had a good pro day. And I guess that's my next question is, is how much stock do you guys put into these offseason events on the draft calendar, the senior bowl, the combine, the pro days? Because I take it, I mean, at the end of the day, NFL teams, they're looking at the tape. That's what they go with. And I think these other things are kind of supplemental. So uh, when you have a case, I think Greer's an an excellent example uh, of someone who had really good tape, didn't fare so well in the senior bowl and the combine. Does that make you go back to the tape and and kind of do a double take on what you saw to make sure it was correct? You know, I I think it's a case-by-case for each player. Will Greer is an interesting case because I don't think – Anybody can figure that one out. I don't care who you are. And that's the beauty of this whole draft process, because if we came up with a proven formula, if we had a exact science or method to the madness, hey, 50% of every draft pick is going to be a bust. Mm. You know, there's more undrafted free agents in the NFL than fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks combined. A third of every NFL roster consists of NFL, you know, undrafted free agents. That's why we go so deep in the publication because these undrafted free agents are who make an impact on your team. But to answer your question, 
I think, you know, just like the NFL teams, we set our board going into the combine. You get to the combine, you check off the boxes as the, you know, as the players perform. Hey, this is what I wanted to see. I thought he was here. I thought, oh, well, hey, he ran a real slow time. Andre Baker, what happened here? Oh, well, I spoke to his trainer. His trainer said he doesn't show up for workouts. He doesn't care about practice. Uh, he, you know, he, he's not a hardworking guy. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. He didn't run so well. But, hey, he's a heck of an athlete on film. So I think, you know, you try to, you know, go through the combine, check off the boxes, and the, and the players who don't, you, you know, you kind of go back and, and say, hey, what happened? Then you get a guy like John Kaminsky from Charleston, West Virginia, and you say, holy cow, well, how did I miss this guy running, <laughs> you know, 4'6 at 270 pounds, the former high school quarterback, or San Diego State tight end, uh, Kahali Warren, and he, he was playing goalie for his water polo team, and, and the high school football coach found him in senior year of high school and said, hey, why don't you give tight end a shot? Um, so, you know, I think after the combine, you kind of say, hey, well, this guy, you know, he was a day three guy, but man, he ran a four three forty. You know, hey, you can't teach speed. Maybe he's, a, you know, maybe he goes from being a fourth or fifth round pick now to a third round pick. Um, so I think, you know, when you have two evenly close, you know, graded players, the combine comes into factor because hey, now I got the apples to apples, the orange to orange comparison. By the time pro day ro- rolls around, those are more for the guys that weren't invited to Indianapolis, in my opinion. Sure. Um, some of the day three undrafted guys that kind of make a name for themselves, put themselves on the radar. Hey, Will Greer looks good in, in gym shorts and a t-shirt. Well, hey, I sure hope he does because nowadays you got the quarterback coaches rehearsing two weeks, maybe two months leading up to this this day, this day everything's scripted, you know, now, you know, now you're working with the wide receivers. You you have all the timing down and you should look good. I mean, Hey, I think, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is the only guy that hasn't looked (laughs) throwing in gym shorts and a t-shirt. Right. So, so the the pro day rolls around for a quarterback, you know, I'm really not paying too much attention to it because by then you should have all your film, all your ducks in a row and, and, uh, have it all figured out by then. Rick, let's move to the chargers. The last two years, They've had 14 picks, and all of them are still on the roster. 13 have played in a game. I believe 10 or 11 have started in a game. So this team is truly built through the draft, and I just want to get your your take on, on what they've done the last two years with guys like Mike Williams, who had 11 total touchdowns last year. He was hurt mm-hmm. in his rookie season. Derwin James and Desmond King, who I mentioned, um, those two all pros this past season. And, and they've gotten some guys in later rounds. Uh, Justin Jones, who started a playoff game. Isaac Rochelle, who started for Joey Bosa um, uh, for much of the year until Joey got back. Sam Tevy, who solidified himself as the starting right tackle for a bulk of the season. Um, they've found some guys. And you, know, and you mentioned the undrafted free agents. You know, guys like Michael Badgley, the kicker, who was at the Senior Bowl last year, and then Austin Eckler, who has proven to be really a, a nice mm-hmm. uh, compliment to Melvin Gordon. Uh, it looks like the Chargers have really done themselves so, some favors in the draft and also through undrafted free agency. Yeah, uh, Tavis Brown is another one. I know he was injured a little bit, but, I mean, another day three steal. And uh, Daytrez Newsom, a guy, you know, undrafted free agent, you saw him step in at the end of the season and take on some carries. Uh, I'll tell you a, a real quick story. A couple years ago, I walked into a training facility and, and, and one of the longtime trainers I know for many years says to me, Hey, you got to come see this kid. I, I never seen him test this and anyone test this well on the first day. And, you know, he comes in, uh, never ran a 40 before in his life, runs in the four threes, 
uh, never did a vertical jump in his life, jumps 40-something inches, uh, you know, 10-10 in the broad. He goes, yeah, the kid, I found him at Western Oregon. <laughs> you know, and Tyrell Williams. I mean, listen, uh, there's a perfect example. You know, you build through the draft. You make your money in day two, day three, or even undrafted free agency, uh, believe it or not, is just as important, if not more important, because like you said, that's where you make your money. Um, you should know who the first round pick is. You should know who the day two guys are. But now when you can give yourself an edge because, hey, the worst thing you can do is have cap room. Because I'll tell you right now, you'll you'll move your franchise backwards if you build through the free agency because you'll always ha- have to overpay. If you do your job, the good players, you don't let them hit free agency. You take care of your own. Yep. And now they can't through your system, they know your organization, they know what you're looking for. Those are the guys you pay. And, you know, you build through the, you build through free agency, you're just going to get yourself fired if you're an NFL. That's the worst thing you can do. And I think that's why the Chargers, you know, I know there, there was a lot of people who thought the Chargers were going to be a, a, a solid team last year. I was a little skeptical because I felt like we've been saying that now every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, I think because, as you mentioned, because they've been able to hit on these draft picks, you know, they've been able to field a competitive team. And I think there's something too, you know, the, the younger player, as opposed to the established veteran, when you bring in these younger guys, it makes the whole competitiveness, uh, the atmosphere, uh, more desperate, more competitive. And I think a solid team overall. So I think there's some truth to that too. But, um, no, I like what the Chargers have done here through the draft. I think they've set themselves up for success. And, you know, when you look up and down the roster, there's depth here. I mean, people forget Forrest Lamp. <laughs> I mean, he was a highly rated guy. What, Absolutely. What if he comes back and contributes something. Dylan Cantrell is a wide receiver I'm hearing very good things about. Um, so, and, Rick, I mean, you know, I, I, mentioned, the I mentioned the 14, the 14 picks. Uh, Cantrell was the only one who hadn't played in a game and obviously you know he was injured and the the wide receiver room was pretty crowded last year but I I like Cantrell a lot I think he's he's got some things to prove in 2019. Yeah no doubt about it and hey listen you know hey you're a Cali guy I'm a Jersey guy I'm looking at the draft you mentioned that they've been able to hit on picks that can contribute and play and refill on the roster that's so critical because you know right here in my backyard I'm looking at the draft three and just you know, four or five years ago, you go back to the Jets uh, draft from 2014, I think it was, they had 12 selections in that year's draft, just five years ago, 12 mm. selections. Ten of those picks are out of the league entirely. Oh, wow. So you think it's a coincidence that they're still picking at the top of the draft? That's how important the draft is. Rick, I'm going to get you out of here on this. The Chargers, they select 28 overall and it's difficult to know who's going to be there, but do you think there's going to be some special players there, regardless of position? And who do you think could be available at that end of the first round, knowing that four quarterbacks could go in the first round and a lot of teams are going to have their eye on defensive line? Well, you know, I think the the interesting player is, is Jeffrey Simmons. Um, you know, because a lot of people think, just because of that injury, you're going to have to probably redshirt him now, his rookie season. Yeah. But without that injury, he's probably a top 10, maybe even a top five pick in this year's draft. Now there's some off the field stuff. There's a video circulating 
uh, with him punching and kicking a female, you know, it's, it's out there, but I think this is a guy that's going to sneak into the back end of the first round now, um, where, Hey, you know, you're getting a potential top five talent at number 28 overall, you have to start to what, you know, weigh that risk reward factor now. And to me, that's where, you know, this, this back end of the first round, there's always going to be guys fall. Even Derwin James last year. I mean, I thought I had a top 10, uh, grade on him mm. and he slid to you guys. So, um, you know, at 28, I'm looking at, uh, um, maybe a tight end, right. Cause we haven't heard back from Antonio Gates. Now does one of the Iowa kids remain on the board at 28? It's possible, you know, to me, Hawkinson is a top 10 talent. I, I've been, this is my 18th year covering the draft. TJ Hawkinson is as good as any tight end I've ever evaluated. That's the grade I have on him. So I don't think he's on the board, but maybe Noah Fant is. So that's a guy that could, could slide down. You know, we talked about uh, Ed Oliver maybe sliding down. I don't think he makes it to 28, but Christian Wilkins from Clemson is another guy. No true position. How about is that? Is he yep. inside? Is he outside? Hey, can we, we know he's explosive. We know he's an athlete. Let's find a home for this guy at the next level. Marquise Hollywood Brown you know, to me is the best receiver in the draft, but he didn't test, couldn't perform at the combine, couldn't work out at his pro day. Can you get the top receiver at 28? Hey, maybe it's not necessarily a, a position of need, but you got to weigh that kind of value. To me, Chris Lindstrom from Boston College is a guy, if, he, if you tell me Chris Lindstrom when it's all said and done is a top 10 player from this year's draft class 20 years from now when we look back at it, I wouldn't be surprised, and I don't think he's going in the first round. It's a lot of names, Rick, and you know, you mentioned the tight end, for instance. Like Hunter Henry's coming back. Hunter Henry is a young tight end who has a lot of potential. But when we talk about just weapons, right, and the the positionlessness of the game today, and having two tight ends on the field who can catch the football, who can block, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We've seen that throughout the NFL. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, if you remember when the Patriots' offense was explosive, they had Aaron Hernandez and, and Rob Gronkowski. That's right. Clicking on all cylinders. And, you know, it's not a bad model at all. At the same time, you know, what are you getting with Hunter Henry, who didn't play a single snap last season? So, hey, if I can take Noah Fant, who's going to be an instant impact player, you know, at least in the red zone immediately, and, and hey, Hunter Henry can re, you know return to form what we saw with him. Well, hey, heck, now we're we're killing it in the scene. We're killing it outside. Uh, we're running underneath. We're running go routes. I mean, this is a tough t- offense to suddenly defend against. Rick Saratella, NFLDraftScout.com, the founder of the NFL Draft Bible. Rick, end this by by telling people where they can get the the Draft Bible. We're uh, we're less than a month after the draft, and, and people got to know. Yeah, hey, I mean, we got a whole month to digest all the information. Uh, just go to NFLDraftScout.com. Up there in the menu bar, you can, you'll see the link for the 2019 Draft Guide, a.k.a. the Draft Bible. And, of course, you know, we're living on the Twitterverse, at NFL Draft Bible, for all the latest news leading up to Nashville. Rick, awesome stuff, man. Really appreciate the time and, and hope to have you on again in the future. Hey, Chris, that was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Let's do it again. That'll do it. My thanks to Rick Saratella and Dan Hansis for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. Don't forget, if you like what you hear this offseason, be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Please help spread the word. Have a great weekend, and until next time, I'm Chris Harey.